0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Football Fanalytics Podcast in association with 23. This is the show that explores the ever-growing world of football analytics and takes on the many tactical and topical discussions within the game. It's episode 72 and we're talking about European competitions this week. My name is Mark Carey and joining me back over Zoom on this occasion, but I think that's still okay. I can see your face smiling, Ryan. Uh, It's Ryan Bailey. How are you? I'm good. I had something to say as soon as we
0: started, but then I had one of those quick ideas Um, so I'm going to quickly hit you with it can you I will transfer you the deeds to my house if you can get this right can you name a football player seeing as this is episode 72 can you name a football player who has ever worn the number 72 on their back
1: Straight into it in this episode. That's that's a bit on the spot. <laughs> it just
0: it just occurred to me when you read out this is episode seventy two, I was like, Oh, that's that's a lot, isn't it? I wonder if there's ever been a player so I quickly googled yeah. it. And there are two names on a list of four players, five players, who I recognise. So I wondered if you can get it. Like I say, you're never gonna, but it's a fun fact, if nothing else.
1: We should do this at the start of every episode to mm. say is there a player with the, the number of that episode? Um seventy two, there's people that you recognize is this historically one of them I'll
0: give you a clue one of them plays in the Premier League mm-hmm. but wore number
1: 72
0: for another Premier League team previously
1: um, this isn't going to make good podcast content if it's just going to be me deliberating for <laughs> minutes if <laughs> it's you just waiting I'm going to have yeah I'm going to have to just give up now to save the listeners the, the issue
0: well apparently Kelechi Iannaccio when mm. he played for Manchester City wore number 72 in his first wow. season good what shot. a fun pub fact that is which no one That's would ever get yeah and also Josip Ilicic uh, apparently wore number 72 for Atlanta at some point might That's be Atlanta, wrong yeah. might be wrong or it might be one of his previous clubs either way I'd heard of those two players it felt like something to do You never know, Might cut it out. Anyway,
1: um, I'm good. (laughs) Very much on the spot. Um, But how have you been, mate, since since we last recorded?
0: I'm good, thank you, Mark. Um, As ever, in my world, it's not quite as exciting to do a football as yours because since we last recorded, you have been chatting to someone else about football. I mean, you do that a lot because it's your job. But Mm -hmm. a notable person uh, in the form of um, Pep Guardiola, for the listeners who didn't know. Mark went to report on a Man City game and actually got to ask... Pep Guardiola, not just one question, but two questions. Mark, tell us about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, to say chat is, is a bit of a stretch, but within the, the context of being able to ask a question, um, yeah, well, I asked two because I got a little bit ahead of myself. Interrupted I Interrupted him. And I ended up sort of <laughs> half interrupting him, but I think that it was... it. It showed more enthusiasm than rudeness, but I was, uh, yeah, I was just reflecting on the the Bournemouth Man City game, and it was quite a f- bit of a formality of a of a victory. So I was trying to think of a different angle to maybe ask him something, and I think that a lot of the post match press conferences are people saying, you know, what are your thoughts on the victory, and it, you can tell that the, the managers themselves answer so many questions that they kind of glaze over in their own answers. So I tried to think of something different to ask, and I was asking about the the versatility of their box midfield of how obviously they have the inverted fullbacks but you can kind of plug in different players it doesn't matter who the players are mm. the principles are still the same and i think they had seven different players play within the box midfield wow. within that game so uh, and that was before that was without um bernardo silva and kevin de bruyne coming on so i wanted to ask him basically how impressive is it that you can rotate between all of all of the different players within your squad and his i wouldn't say his eyes lit up but i'd say that he was a little bit more interested than the straight bat that he was giving to every other officer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a really fun, really fun little uh, five minutes.
0: I mean, that's Guardiola fodder, isn't it? To be able to ask him if someone observes a little kind of uh, nuance of something he's done within his tactical plan, rather than just asking him, oh, our Foden was good today. What do you reckon? Mm. Um, that's really quite cool, isn't it? But also, how much were you bricking yourself before going into that room, knowing Guardiola's going to
1: walk in, if at all? But I would be. Yeah oh before during and after absolutely yeah. i think if i'm being honest i it was funny actually because i built myself up to to ask the question and i was like right like genuinely deep breaths before you answer it so that you sort of come across quite confident so i kind of managed to train myself into asking the question but the after effect was mad because then i was typing something up based on what he said in the minutes after it and i didn't realize but my hands were still shaking <laughs> because <laughs> I was just so nervous because it's a big deal to speak to someone obviously of that stature um, but I'm glad that I did I'm glad that I bucked up the courage to to actually ask it because it was only quite brief really I think it, all in all it was about six or seven minutes and there weren't too many questions
0: I mean it's a big deal to be a- able to ask questions anyway of you know footballers people within the game and to ask them you know for actual insight on what they do that if you think about it Pep Guardiola is talked about by hundreds of thousands of people every day every week every game mm-hmm. so to be able to actually directly sit in a room and directly ask a question to him that's really cool that on a serious note it's very cool
1: yeah, I've, no, I was massively, yeah, privileged to do it, massively nervous, um, and continuing a previous episode where we have discussed um, behind the scenes within a stadium, some good food at Bournemouth, I, I must would, say. I'm
0: glad you brought it up.
1: I was going to ask what the Bournemouth canteen was like. Lovely veggie lasagna with uh, garlic bread. Ooh. Um, it was between that or some chilli, so a lovely chilli, um, and I went for both, because I started off with lasagna, and then I thought, there's still a bit left 20 minutes later. Yeah. So I went for a little bit of chilli as well, nice level of heat bit of rice with it as well perfect so fantastic good good bit of scranet so on the current
0: leaderboard of mark carey's press conference slash food experiences Mm -hmm. where does this one rank are we kind
1: of is this the best so far it's right up there ryan yeah um i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's at the top i'd say that liverpool was top not just because i am a fan of said club um i'd say liverpool first then chelsea And then I'd probably say Bournemouth. Yeah. Right up there. Okay.
0: I mean, we're going at the weekend to a uh, Dulwich Hamlets versus St Albans game uh, with the travelling away party and going to see a friend who lives around that area. So maybe we can see. I don't know if you can have the chance to kind of lean over and ask one of the managers a question. And then also we'll get a burger and see if we can get that in the rankings
1: somewhere absolutely tweet it out yeah get people's thoughts on it like yeah. you do. any questions yeah.
0: for the manager send
1: them marks i'm not way here to discriminate <laughs> i'm not too i'm not too good for dulwich hamlet
0: you you ask the questions i'll rate the um the halftime burgers um and we can go from there
1: yeah you got yourself a deal right from the silliness to the seriousness let's uh let's get on with the crux of today's episode so a bit of a topical one this week um the fifa fif pro men's and women's world 11 were revealed uh earlier this week celebrating the the best men's and women's players across the game um we're going to focus on the men's 11 today ryan um and a quick one on how i guess the world 11 comes to be uh essentially the the players themselves vote for um those who they think are are the best but it's interesting here that the period is from the start of the 2021-22 season all the way up to the winter that's just gone it was the 18th of December 2022 was the cutoff so it encapsulates the World Cup on this occasion as Ah. well as the season before for obvious reasons so we can kind of make a little bit more of an informed decision um Ryan, do you want to talk us through the award-winning eleven that they've landed on?
0: I absolutely do. And I'm also, before I do that, I'm glad you've cleared it up. That's how they kind of decided in that time period. But I've always mm-hmm. wondered with these kind of awards, same with the Ballon d'Or, is it meant to be like who is the best players currently out there, Not not mm-hmm. to do with form? Or is it meant to be kind of who has had the best from the 8th of August 2021 to the 18th of December 2022, do you know what I mean? Is it a form-based thing or is it just like, well, so-and-so is the best player? What's it meant to yeah. be and what is it?
1: Well, I, I think it's still kind of subjective in that regard. I think you do, you are supposed to maybe judge it within that window. But I think if I'm right in thinking Ballon d'Or is kind of within a certain window as well, where a lot of things change in that period of time so you think well at the time when the people were voting you can understand why they maybe voted for that player it was that
0: year wasn't there where like Sadio Mane was kind of touted and Jorginho that one time that caused a bit of controversy Mm. everyone was sort of saying well he won the Euros and the Champions League so does that mean that you're eschewing for the Ballon d'Or or Or not necessarily saying that Jorginho is the best central midfielder in the world that's why there's a lot of kind of debate because of it wasn't there
1: yeah and it kind of confuses me because maybe in years gone by you would have to maybe collect the votes manually there might be some sort of postal service but in the modern day these players could in theory surely be able to vote within a couple of weeks of the actual ceremony Mm. itself and be able to kind of have it a bit more up to date i'm not too sure of the answer of that um i won't maybe get too much into the the technicalities um, okay but ryan let's get into the world 11 who are they
0: the FIFA Fifth Pro World Eleven, I think they also could have come up with a better word than Fifth Pro, but we'll talk about that a different time. Um it is from back to front. I'm gonna have to pronounce some names here. I I can only see the surnames, but I'll give it a go. Is it Thibaut Courtois? Do you say Thibaut? Thibaut Courtois, Thibaut, Thibaut Courtois. Afram Hakimi. Ashraf Hakimi. I'm glad that you're here to clear up. Virgil van Dyker could do that one. Jao Cancello. Uh, and then we've got a midfield three of Modric, De Bruyne, Casemiro, Luca, and Kevin, obviously. Uh, I've no idea what Casemiro's first name is. I think it's just Casemiro, like Cher and Adele. <laughs> uh, um, we've then got uh, a front four, which I'm quite excited about. This is very sort of chuck it in as you like um, of Messi, Benzema, Haaland and Mbappe we all know their first names so there's no point in going through those. I mean, so he's gone for a yeah, a 3-3-4, three, three, Mark, 3-3-4. The 11 know. They do what they want. Are we allowed to do a th- again, this this whole thing. Are we allowed to just throw random formations in? Could we have picked six forwards if we would have liked?
1: Well yeah, we we've spoken about this before for quite a lot of this this whole podcast is the the best 11 and the 11 best. I don't think I've ever realistically seen a 3-3-4 three, three, actually occur um, no. within a within a game of football but they try to get in the best players. I mean, so yeah, what's your what are your initial thoughts there? I mean, starting with a three-man defense, poor old Virgil van Dijk is having to just sort the whole of the back line out himself with two forward-thinking fullbacks either side. Yeah, he's
0: he's been given a big task there, old Verge. I was going to say though, I mean, I love Virgil van Dijk, don't get me wrong, and I'm speaking to a Liverpool fan. In the last year Or since August 2021, has Virgil van Dijk been one of the best
1: centre-backs in the world? Do you think? Well, this is another thing as well where I think there was a bit of controversy around him getting it because there's obviously going to be a bit of a recency effect in the past couple of months, let's say. He hasn't been at his best. Liverpool haven't been at their best. But if you were to cut it off at the summer, at least, and just say that it was a season's worth last season... Virgil van Dijk was integral to Liverpool playing in every single possible game they could because they got to three finals, three cup finals yeah, and true. were minutes away from winning the Premier League. Um, and he's obviously then represented his country in a World Cup for the first time, um, captained um, his, his country to a World Cup for the first time. So I think that's that's pretty good going. I think that Liverpool have completely fallen off the cliff um, in, in form, as has Virgil van Dijk. But yeah he's been integral to allow them to, to have that success. So I don't think it's it's quite as outrageous as maybe people might be making out, but there's an element of recency effect, I'd say.
0: Yeah, and and I mean, I guess as well, off the top of my head, which is what's always fun about these discussions, is uh, is there a distinct lack of world-class centre-backs currently at the moment in, in Europe, in world football? Who, who are the top people at the moment who would come above Van Dijk, would you say? Like, Thiago Silva always comes to mind, but he's like 59 now, isn't he? So... Mm. Um, that can't last forever.
1: Yeah, he's defying his age. I think there's a lot of kind of young, exciting centre-backs maybe coming through. Um, I think Nico Schlotterbeck is, a, is an exciting one at, at Dortmund. Um, in the Bundesliga, I suppose, you've also got Matthias de Licht, even though he's not met necessarily in the best form, but a, a young, up-and-coming centre-back. I suppose, for Kaio Tomori, from a, an English perspective, uh, at AC Milan. Um, Jules Koundé at Barcelona, even though he can play right back as well. Um, there's there's a few who are kind of up and coming Chelsea have bought half of them as well but um, I do absolutely take your point that there aren't quite as many stalwarts shall we say
0: do you know what I mean there was like a, there was an era wasn't there of Sergio Ramos of you know kind of like PK etc etc where you could where every single big European team had absolutely unreal centre backs and I just wondered the other day kind of thinking I think Rafael Varane at the moment is probably up there isn't he um, as one of the world's best it was just just a it, it was almost one of those, like I just wondered initially thinking, I take your point about Van Dyke's uh, integralness last year to, to Liverpool um, and their season, but it always seems like Van Dyke is just the first person you come back to as a bit of a default when you think of the best centre-backs in the world. And I haven't really challenged that opinion in my own brain. And I just wondered if other people were starting to do that, basically.
1: Yeah, I suppose there is an element of who else could it be um, if there's not too many options. But I do, as I say, think that there's a an element by which Virgil van Dijk does deserve to be in there but I think I take your point that there's not a massive pool of names to go from
0: yeah i think i think Courtois probably deserves that
1: that goalkeeping slot does he what would you say I think so. I think with all of these as well, looking at it from an individual perspective of how well have they maybe performed is one thing, but I also think the achievements that they've had as well. So Courtois was, he was integral to Real Madrid's run to the the Champions League final and ultimately their victory as well. He won La Liga uh, as well, so they they did the the league and European Cup double. Um, Real Madrid and Courtois was essential to that. I mean, I looked at his post shot uh, XG numbers and their. Fine. Last, well, Looking at last season alone, it, he's certainly saved uh, more than he should have based on expectation. Four okay. goals more than he should have last season. So based purely on shot stopping, which I know that's not what it's about, then he's he performed above average despite his uh, recent mistake against Liverpool, but didn't matter in the end because Liverpool outdid Real Madrid in uh, yeah. making embarrassing mistakes let's quickly gloss over that but <laughs> you take my point that it's it's uh, as much about individual performance but it's also about the players role within the wider team achievements I think that's where some of these names do come into their own
0: yeah I think that's fair enough I also have no issue with either of the two fullbacks that they've put in there being they're just some of the top names aren't they in terms of football uh, at the yeah. moment onto the midfield it, Modric again is one of those who I'm just like is he going to forever be in the fifth pro world eleven until he retires? Is he still? Yeah. I, I mean, it's one of those, isn't it? Because say, is he still the best centre midfielder in the world? But then you watch him again against Liverpool, and mm. I mean, age doesn't define it, does it at all? It's it. He was he was brilliant again.
1: I mean, he's quicker off the mark than I realise as well. Yeah. I know that people say that he is good at carrying the ball, but at thirty seven, he was able to rinse through the. The centre of the pitch against against yeah. Liverpool, but he's got that in his in his locker to be able to do that. He's got a good turn of pace. We know how good his eye for a pass is. Um, he is just absolutely defying his age. I actually did a uh, or helped on a piece that's out on the Athletic this week actually about Modric of how he's essentially the Benjamin Button of. Uh, <laughs> Of world football, really, because he is just continuing to defy his age. And I think he took a bit of a a dip in form after the World Cup, to which people thought, well, well, maybe is the decline actually started now? Yeah. And I think that it wasn't necessarily that. It was just that he obviously got far in the competition with Croatia. They came third overall, didn't they? And I think he tried to go straight back into playing league football again. And you just, especially at that age, you just can't, you need a bit of a rest. You need to recuperate. And then he's found some form again and just at the right time as... Obviously, run pretty much the home straight now of sort of cup competitions as well as league competitions. So Yeah, of course. He's I, uh,
0: he's defying his age, mate. I was thinking the other day um, about... I was playing FIFA and I was quite sad because FIFA, it, I think this is the last year it will be under the umbrella of mm. FIFA. And I um, I was thinking about some of my favourite FIFAs that I've played over the years. And FIFA 09, when I sort of got the new age console back then, which we're talking, what, 14 years ago now, Um mm. Luka Modric was one of the players that I bought on FIFA O nine. There you go.
1: It's
0: absolutely ridiculous that we're still talking about Luka Modric as one of the best players in the world and he features in this team uh, you know, in twenty twenty three. I just think it's fantastic. Um I don't think there's too much argument for Casemiro personally. I think he's fantastic. I really do.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's been interesting to see how he's kind of getting his own getting credit in his own right. I think that there was a there's an element to which people thought that because he was alongside Kroos and Modric, that he was a bit of the water carrier and he wasn't that good of a footballer. But, mm. you know, it was others that kind of elevated his level. But since he's come to Manchester United, I think he's elevated everyone else's level with the, the skill set that he has. He's so destructive. He just hoovers everything up. Destructive is a great playing. word. Yeah, and he's, he's actually stronger than people give him credit for um, in attacking areas as well, or getting, getting the ball forward and getting forward himself. So... Um, massively um, deserved for, for Casemiro to be in there my only gripe with the Casemiro thing is that on the official World Eleven graphic he is on the left of a three you've got Modric on the right <laughs> De Bruyne slightly ahead and Casemiro on the left which is just not I don't believe how it, how it should be I think Casemiro should be holding and you've got the other two either side I know that both De Bruyne and Modric like to be more in the right half space but I'm not having it I think it's weird that they've put it in that way I love stop. that that's
0: I love that that's your qualm on the graphic, but the fact that there's four flat strikers is fine. Um, you sure. know, it, it, it's, it's the it's the pivot that you've got the issue with, not the absolutely not the actual number of attackers. But okay, fair enough.
1: Yeah, and I absolutely stand by that. Um, and Kevin De Bruyne, yeah, completes the midfield. I think it, it makes sense from from that perspective. Obviously. Premier League winners Manchester City and De Bruyne was key to that I think he scored a a career best uh, volume of goals last season I do know I might have mentioned this before on this podcast that he outperformed his XG more than any other player in the Premier League last season because he was just scoring belters from all different angles I remember a game against Wolves that I think he scored three maybe even four goals it was just he was just he's so good at his his shot placement so um, key from an attacking perspective he's moved far more into a uh, back into his typical creative role um, this season he's just is expected assists uh, you know as high as they've ever been I think in the World Cup uh, Belgium themselves and Kevin De Bruyne specifically has not so much of a good tournament but you take the rough with the smooth and he definitely should be um, in there. We love KDB.
0: Your analysis of Kevin De Bruyne, as ever, is much more comprehensive than my own, which I've got written down. He's just wicked, isn't he? Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is basically um, my thoughts on him. He's just Same wicked. Same thing. Yeah, it, it, you know, you've got to summarise sometimes, Mark. He's just wicked, basically. <laughs> He's just wicked. He's just wicked. Um, speaking of wicked, there's then four players up top in a, in a flat straight line which I'd love to discuss how that would actually work. Uh, but from obviously uh, right to left is Messi, Benzema, Haaland and Mbappe. They'd be absolutely fighting for space up there, wouldn't they, if that was the case? Although Messi would obviously find a way to find it. But for pretty unarguably top of the game players currently, I would imagine. How long can Messi keep doing it for? That's another thing, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah, good question. Um, I don't necessarily know the answer to that. He's in the sort of the Modric camp of just defying his, his age, his skill set. I was so, so pleased that he managed to, to win the World Cup. Yeah. Just to get any people who slightly doubted his sort of legacy, that was quite frustrating to listen to. I think, yeah, those four you can't really argue with. However, if we were to base it on the numbers, should Robert Lewandowski feel hard done by? I think Robert I
0: Lewandowski you. always should feel hard done by, shouldn't he? Really, with the Ballon d'Or a few years ago, mm. everything he's just—he's just a player who continually seems to have got unlucky with this sort of stuff.
1: I don't—I don't entirely know why, but he scored thirty-five goals, thirty-five league goals uh, last season. I know that it includes a bit of extra into the, the World Cup, um, but thirty-five goals last season was more than any other player in the top five European leagues. Granted, he only had three assists. So if you compare it with like the goal involvements of Kylian Mbappe, he, Mbappe had 28 goals and 17 assists. Benzema had 27 goals and 12 assists. So they're a bit more well-rounded in that regard. Um, Haaland actually only scored 22 goals last season. Oh. Um, I think that may be where there's an element of recency effect. We know that Erling Haaland and... I keep saying Haaland, Haaland, whoever it is. Erling Haaland and, and Kylian Mbappe are going to be the two in the years to come most likely the two out and out best players competing for the ballon d'or i get that but i don't know it kind of as you say what are we basing it on harlan has been scoring for absolute fun for, for manchester city don't get me wrong um but last season he had some injury issues as well i don't know whether he's massively deserving of it based on last season yeah um, alone but really he is he is an absolute powerhouse don't get me wrong um, but Lewandowski could feel maybe hard done by not even with my Liverpool hat on, but should Mohamed Salah feel a bit hard done by? 23 goals, 13 assists last season. Yeah. Got to the Champions League final as well, which Haaland didn't, Mbappe didn't, Messi didn't. Of course, yeah, we know that Benzema did and he's deserving of, of the Ballon d'Or. Um, but could Salah feel hard done by? I, I
0: mean, you. I don't know why the fifth pro people haven't just stuck him in as a fifth forward and just, you know. Put him wide, wide right. That could have worked, couldn't it? Instead of put him um, in goal. Yeah, put him in it goal. Is. You know, if that's how we're if that's how we're doing it, your eleven best, not your best eleven. Um, but yeah, no, I I appreciate your point. I mean, Benzema, of course, just just of course, with the with the year and um, stuff that he's had. I mean, he he in the same Lewandowski bracket would probably feel hard done by that he hasn't won the actual uh, best player award. If Messi hadn't have got the World Cup, I imagine that might have been a different outcome. But you know, is what it is, isn't it?
1: Yeah, true. You are right about the Lewandowski thing. You've got to feel for him. Mm. The only time that he was out and out the best player in the world was uh, during that COVID, COVID season. But yeah, Messi, absolutely deserving of it. Just when you think that he's maybe ever so slight, slightly on the decline by his own standards, he drags his country to the, the World mm. Cup. So um, overall, yeah, I can't disagree with too much. Playing devil's advocate on some of them, but uh, there's not too many outrageous names in there. I think that's fair to say.
0: Is there anyone apart from Lewandowski and Salah that we haven't mentioned who would probably feel hard done by? None immediately spring to my mind.
1: None immediately spring to mind. This is where the listeners Um, at
0: home are going to be going, you absolute idiots, what about name number X?
1: Yeah, well, this is this is where you can have an element of opinion. We were trying to maybe look at the numbers a little bit more, especially with the front line. But um, there's yeah, I mean, let's have it right. There's more than eleven world class players yeah. who, uh, who play football, so there could be some debate. I think putting Cancelo on the the left as a fullback is maybe a little bit harsh on on other players who maybe sort of play there. But um, overall, uh, I do think you can't complain too much when, as I say, you combine the individual performance and what these players have achieved in the past. 18 months. Um, Not too many complaints. So, Ryan, while we were on the topic of FIFA and talking about kind of European competition, European players, um, I thought this would be a good chance to move ever so slightly towards talking about UEFA, but talking more specifically about uh, the Champions League. Uh, And this isn't anything that's necessarily new, but I think it's a good opportunity to discuss it. Um, So from the 2024-25 season, the Champions League will have a format change and it will move to a Swiss-style group stage uh, before the knockout stages, which essentially means that rather than it be groups rather than it be eight groups of four it's going to be one single group um, and there'll be eight group games uh, instead of six Uh, it will be that the top eight teams qualify automatically so then from ninth to 24th the remaining teams play a a two-legged what we'll call a playoff and then the remaining um, teams go through so you still have 16 teams go through but it's a bit of a longer way to go about it. But there's more games um, on average, as I say, at least eight games um, instead of six. And this new model is uh, designed to kind of make the, the Champions League a little bit more competitive, a little bit more exciting. It will improve, it's intended to improve the, the commercial deals, et cetera, in the long term. Um, initial thoughts, Ryan? Well, I mean, you
0: explained that very well. My, my initial thought on this kind of stuff is always if it ain't broke what's the point in trying to fix it because I think the Champions League is just great as it is and if ever I'm not bothered about the Champions League which occasionally I've got busy week or whatever the, the the things that I'll sacrifice on are the group games obviously mm. because you know it, 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 if there's football on all the time like all the time which we've spoken about before so occasionally I've gone so I don't need more of that and I just is it a commercially driven thing is it to just you know squeeze more money out of it because it's obviously I don't know enough about the ins and outs of the money of the Champions League so I'm not going to pretend I do but I just I, I'm like yeah fine but I don't know if I need a Swiss style Champions League group it's like with the World Cup weren't they all about like changing the next World Cup f- format to is it less group games or, or more? I can't remember which way they would go with it. I think it's a, it's a three three teams in a group rather three than Three teams four. in a group. Ugh, like what? Like, you know, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not always for change. What's
1: your thoughts? Well, no, I think it's a good point. I think more football, which we can come on to later, isn't always a good thing for the players because it can make for a less competitive spectacle. So in principle, this idea is supposed to improve yeah the competition the excitement etc but if there's more games being played from a manager's perspective are you going to rotate more are you going to then play more squad players and the actual games themselves become less exciting yeah because you have to manage your players workload and things like that so Jürgen Klopp will blow his lid one if this happens yeah but I don't I don't necessarily disagree with with people being quite frustrated with it from a manager's perspective as I say I want to come on to the, the player workload side of things I think that it, it probably does have its value in the commercial side of it. Adding more teams is only going to increase the competition and, and potentially uh, you know sell more tickets, all those sorts of things, and cre- create um, more yeah commercial deals. I, I think the idea of not liking change, I completely agree with the principle of if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I don't know, you could maybe have argued that when in England the old Division One was perfectly yeah, good true. and functional and then they brought in the Premier League And maybe
0: this is the moment where I become a dinosaur and
1: I start to just sort of complain maybe that's it no no I don't I don't think oh, now nah, you've turned 30 mate <laughs> um, no, in, in that regard I don't want to get too much None into of this the whole Champions like, League
0: bollocks in my 20s like. yeah
1: um, I don't want to go too far down the, the Super League uh, rabbit hole because it's it's very complex but I mean they've um, only got three
0: teams there anyway haven't they so that's fine
1: well true yeah um, I think that this is kind of more of a... It's a little bit more than a tweak, but it's it's certainly a change to the to the existing system. Um, but I looked into it more and more, and I actually read um, a really interesting article from the guys at 21st Group, who are uh, an analytics company who do some fantastic work. Um, and I looked at a really interesting article that came out last year um, by Omar Chowdhury and Ben Marlowe. And they basically outlined how much this increased competition will ultimately lead to greater success from the commercial side, then make it more of an interesting spectacle in the longer term and make it more of a greater success on the pitch as well. Um, And they used um, their intelligence engine, which is really cool. So I imagine that's something to do with artificial intelligence. Uh, And they simulated uh, what could occur to try and quantify the impact of this this competition change and how it could maybe garner a bit more success from the fan base and they broke it down into multiple different things um starting with yeah the quality of the the teams on show and the way in which they quantify quality is that they have a a system um a league rating basically it's called expected World Super League Rating. Um, And it's something that we've spoken about before, I guess. It's akin to something that we've spoken about before with like 538. And they have uh, models to essentially give a number to the strength of each team um, from whatever number. So the higher the number, the the larger the the team strength is on average. And they basically found that the, the 36 team format would dilute the group stage quality a little bit but might actually lead to a greater quality in the the latter round in terms of the the quality on show. So it it may kind of feed into your point, Ryan, where it's like if you're going to give up anything, it might be that the group stage, you're just thinking, well, I'm maybe five games into the the eight rounds here. There's there's a bit of a poor game on show. I might not watch it. So it's the trade-off of actually whether they're increasing their viewership within the, the group stages if, given from this model, the average league rating of the teams competing will be ever so slightly lower in the group stage. Will you be as bothered by, uh, you know, less of a heavyweight game? I don't know, really. It's very interesting to think about.
0: Um, I'm also intrigued by this idea of an intelligence engine. I'd love to know how that works. Um, the only kind of experience of that I have is chatting to you. You're, our, you're the analytics intelligence engine, really. So it's, uh, you know, probably not as advanced as theirs. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm very interested by the whole thing. I'm looking at these graphs that you've put down, trying to make sense of them.
1: Yeah, well, I'll put a link uh, in the bio of the, the article that I've, I have read, which I thought was really interesting. I think that we should do another episode um, on the idea of artificial intelligence increasing mm. within football, because it is becoming certainly increasingly valuable. It feels like there's just a Pandora's box of stuff in the past few, even as recently as the past few months. But um, yeah, this artificial intelligence does outline some some really interesting things. So, they spoke about the quality of the teams on show. Um, yeah, they also looked at kind of again to your point, how meaningful will the the games be? Um, because there is a stage. I know that Liverpool had it, and that was the game that Diogo Jota got injured quite badly. Um, where they had a, they had basically have quite a few dead rubbers by yeah. the the final group game because the teams are pretty much in their formation. They know that they can't overtake anyone and the final game just becomes pretty much meaningless yeah um and they basically looked the eighty eight percent of the the games in the group stages um from twenty twenty one to the end of next season, including their projection eighty eight percent of them will be meaningful um which means that twelve percent of them will be pretty much a dead rubber uh, quite a high percentage know. of dead rubbers that yeah exactly yeah which which is i think another reason why you know they UEFA want to change things but the point being is that in this projected new format there'll be only um 5% that will be dead rubbers uh, across right. the whole course okay. of the game so it's basically the idea being that there'll be far more competitive games across the whole of the group stage rather than it being really exciting for the first three or four games and then it sort of tapers off towards the end and then really people only care about then just waiting until the knockout round so yeah okay i understand again, that. yeah a value there of maybe trying to change the format to make sure it's a little bit more competitive um, The well, one of the final ones I won't go through all of them but the the other one was will we see more of the heavyweights playing so let's have it right like we don't necessarily always want to see Shakhtar Donetsk against Ludograt for example in the Champions League but maybe we do want to see mate. maybe you don't well yeah I uh, can't speak for everyone um, <laughs> but we we do want to see you know Real Madrid against Bayern Munich we do want to see PSG against Uh, Manchester City or Liverpool, and the projection here is: Will there be yeah more more heavyweights coming up against each other in this new format? And the answer is slightly nuanced in that it's that there will be more matches between the heavyweight teams, but only because there are more games, rather than necessarily the probability um, actually increasing. So the good thing is that ultimately we will see still see more games um, of of the big teams coming up against each other. But it feeds back to the point we said before of, are we just kind of flogging these elite players to just play more games, play more games, and eventually the the heavyweights will come up against each other. And let's have it right. There's going to be a greater likelihood that these players are going to get injured and then it's not going to be as as good a spectacle. So it's, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are. I know that we said it before, but about increasing the fixture schedule, Would you basically rather take off 10 games and know that the games that you will see are going to be really good or would you rather kind of have a bit of a balance of seeing more games on the idea that some might be not so good, some might be amazing?
0: Well, I always think, you know, sometimes you can be a bit footballed out, but then, you know, when when it's a week where there's, you know, only a handful of FA Cup games or something and, and there's a bit of a fixture break, I'm always a bit like, sort of, a lost soul. I'm like that um that meme of narcos where the guys sat on the swing or sat waiting in the swimming pool waiting for uh, waiting for the next round of football fixtures. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, more football for lots of people is never a bad thing. Um the only thing I would say is I really enjoy it when Bayern Munich and PSG do get to play. And I don't know how much more of an of that I need in terms of does it become less special when the big teams play each other more often? Because at the moment when a kind of a big draw like that comes out the, the excitement level i'm happy with um so i'm not sure i'd get a bit would i get a bit you know sort of blasé about the idea if it happened more often but i guess it's not gonna be that much more often is it so i don't know i'd be interested to see it and i'd be interested to uh have my old man sort of oh i don't like change opinion challenged
1: hmm. yeah i think that's that's a fair well-rounded answer to, to make I mean I listened to a, a podcast uh, fairly recently with Steve McManaman uh, and he was talking about the idea of when you did used to play in European games when you did on the odd occasion that you would play another heavyweight it was built up to be this uh, this massive game and I think he might have used the PSG by Munich example yeah. or you know a, a certainly a team similar where you know that they've played up against each other fairly recently it, it does become A little bit diluted, not necessarily in the game itself, but all the build-up around it, because there'd be some occasions where some of the the greatest players in Europe or in the world had never actually been on the same field at the same time, whereas Mm. now it's just a a melting pot of of, uh, all the different teams coming up against each other. So I think that maybe wouldn't help proceedings quite as much in that regard, but... I think on the, the point of, the final thing I want to say is on the point of, of injuries um, and linking back to FIFA Pro as, a, as an organization, they do a lot of great work which try to outline in reports just how yeah. much the the health and performance of, of football players is of utmost importance. And the more reports they do to try and, I guess, lobby to make sure that they are protected from injury, um, the, the more that maybe things could change. And, I, I did something on this fairly recently around the World Cup and I found a really good kind of dashboard. Uh, and again, I can put the link of this in the bio, but it's the player workload monitoring tool. Um, and I just think it's really interesting in general to, to kind of flick through. So it has different things like um, a player's risk of injury, um, their players, the player's workload, how much rest and recovery they've got. Um, and it has a travel log, As well, and it shows you how many times they have traveled around the world or like the the distance that they've traveled, of how much they've traveled around the world in the past 12 months. So, Ah. for example, Bruno Fernandez has traveled around the world 5.66 times in the past 12 months. (laughs) So, it's just a really good, useful tool to be able to see just how kind of gassed out these players are.
0: When you say travel around the world 5.6 times, how do you measure that? He's got on 5.6 amount of flights. What do you mean? And a less serious question on top of that, did they take legroom into account? Like, you know, how that affects the... Uh, how that
1: affects the, the rest the rest the players get on the flight home? I'd, good question. One I'm not prepared to answer. Um, but I think it was more to do with the, the... Purely the distance of... They would, I guess, work out the the distance around the world once and then realise <laughs> how many air miles they've done. Bruno I mean, Fernandez has lapped the planet 5.6 times. Yeah, that's that's the long and short of it. it, is um, how many laps of the world has player done is, is the crux of it. But I, I do think it's a really interesting tool. I'll put a link in the bio. I think you might have to just register or put a login to to access it. But um, it, it points to the idea that these players get next to no recovery time, especially at the, the elite level for their club and their country as well. You know, these players... These international players, if they're playing at the elite level, they're going to play for their country as well, and they just there's just no time for them to um, to rest, really. So, yeah, just nice. circles around with the the Pro thing of the theme of uh, theme of today. I'll put the link in in that bio. But very I need nice to uh, to discuss there, Ryan.
0: Yeah, very nice, and um, I I think that actually is genuinely very interesting on a serious point of view. I'm going to have to cut this episode short because the amount of airline related puns that are um, stacking up in my brain um about related to injuries it's it's we'll be here all day um and no one wants to hear that probably so yes i really enjoyed that mark
1: okay well thank you ryanair i mean ryan and um, for your time um that's and my only one and i will sign off there um thank you to everybody for listening we really hope that you enjoyed the episode we are open to any ideas that you have um for, for us to discuss anything on future episodes so of course you know how to to get in contact with us we are fanalytics.pod at gmail.com or of course we're on socials twitter and instagram at fanalytics pod but enjoy the rest of your week we will hopefully speak to you very soon thanks for listening
0: sports social podcast network